Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is The Japanese House, with producers Chloe Kramer and George Daniel to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album In the End, It Always Does. Amber Bain, better known as The Japanese House, is a singer-songwriter and producer from Buckinghamshire, England. Growing up, Amber learned guitar from her father, and by the age of 11 had started experimenting writing and recording music of her own. Drawing inspiration from artists including Sigaross and Beach House, throughout her teenage years, she began to hone her production skills, working on her own blend of electropop and folk. In 2012, having settled on the moniker The Japanese House, Amber was introduced to Matty Healy of the 1975, who signed her to the label Dirty Hit. Working closely with Matty and 1975 drummer George Daniel, in 2015, she released two EPs, Pools to Bathe In and Clean. Characterized by their dreamy atmospheres and intimate narratives, the records began to draw Amber a dedicated following, setting the stage for her burgeoning career. Following several more EPs and extensive touring with label mates The 975 and Wolf Alice, in 2019 she released her debut studio album Good at Falling, working with producers BJ Burton and once again with George. Recorded primarily at Boniver's Fall Creek Studio, the album reached number six on the US Heat Seekers charts. The deeply personal tracks tied together with Amber's signature evocative storytelling and intricate production. Her latest record, In the End It Always Does, released in June 2023 with George and Chloe Kramer at the helm as producers, reached the number three spot on the UK indie charts and sees Amber continue to explore nuanced emotions with a vibrant and playful approach. Chloe Kramer is a producer, engineer, and musician from London. Although initially training as a violinist throughout her school years, Chloe went on to study sound engineering and production in South London. Following her studies, she took up work experience at Maloko Studios and was brought on as a runner at the prestigious Church Studios. Flourishing in the studio environment, Chloe quickly began to work her way up the ranks as an assistant and eventually as an engineer. With Paul Epworth as a mentor, her time at the church saw her work on records from numerous high-profile artists, including Coldplay, Glass Animals, and Rosie Lowe. Alongside her skills behind the desk, Chloe set to taking her ear for recording and her studio experience into production work of her own, most recently working with artists including Lava LaRue, BB Sway, and The Japanese House. George Daniel is an artist and producer best known for his role as drummer and producer of pop rock band The 1975. It was during his school years that George met fellow bandmates, singer and frontman Matty Healy, guitarist Adam Han, and bassist Ross MacDonald. And after several successful EPs, in 2013, they released their self-titled debut album on Dirty Hit. Now almost a decade on, the 1975 have solidified their status as a global sensation. As well as earning nominations for almost every major music award, all five of their studio albums have top charts around the world, often with George at the helm as producer. Outside of his band responsibilities, George has taken on writing and production roles with artists including Charlie XCX and Dirty Hit label mates Rina Sawayama, Biba Doobie, Pale Waves, and most recently co-producing In The End It Always Does from the Japanese house. Today, I'm here at Strongroom Studios in Shoreditch, and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Baby Goes Again. She's all that I 
Baby Goes Again from the album In The End It Always Does by the Japanese House. And I'm very pleased to say that I have Amber Bain, who is the Japanese House, with me here in the Strong Room Studios. Hello, Amber. Hello. It's great to have you here. George Daniel, um, you are a, vet- a veteran of tape notes, um, we like to think. <laughs> an old hat. An old hat. An old hat, I think. Um, and Chloe Kramer. Hello. Um, welcome. It's great to have you all here. And we're going to talk about the creation of In the End, It Always Does. So that was just a little taste of it. So where does it start? I mean, you've known each other a while. You've worked together, George and Amber, for quite some time. But for this record, where does the journey start? It kind of started in two places. The first bit was me and you. Like, lockdown. In lockdown. And w- was that near Christmas? It was 2020. Yeah. Yeah, it was like October to Christmas. And we did like four songs then. I think we did or do five. six. Oh, we did six. Then I sort of had a bit of a break and then I was kind of still in the writing phase. And originally I kind of just wanted someone in the room with me when I was writing and I wanted someone to like engineer stuff. So I reached out to Chloe. We kind of knew each other, not that well. <laughs> and then Chloe just ended up producing the whole thing. You were like, hang on a minute. You're yeah. all bloody good, aren't you? Yeah, I did think that. <laughs> and then, yeah, you just ended up producing everything because I was just like, well, I don't want to do it without you. Well, now. very much a team effort. Yeah, as in with all of us. Yeah. But <laughs> you ended up being on every track, basically, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it would start, I guess most things start with me on my laptop, some version of like a demo, and then I'll bring it to you guys. And kind of the writing is still going on when I'm in the studio. Usually I write like a verse and a chorus if I'm lucky or I just write some sort of gibberish lyric. And then the last bit is me writing the lyrics, finishing like the first two lyrics. I think think you're way better this time around Mm -hmm. with like being like, okay, I'm going to finish the song and then we're going to record it again. Yeah. Which is the hard thing. I hate doing that. (laughs) Because <laughs> when you finally are getting towards the end of something, the last thing you want is for someone to go, okay, well, now you know it. Can you play it again? Can you record it all again? Yeah. <laughs> but I think for me, that was a part of this record that felt really special because we kept refining, we kept replaying stuff. And like, yeah. I remember doing that at home for like two or three drum tracks in the early sessions. And then also like a late example of that is like Joni. Mm-hmm. where you had like a pretty much perfect version of it and we were just sort of wondering what the last 10, 20% was. And I remember me and Matty, it may well have been him, we were like, oh, what if you just sit there and play it like 20 times and you're yeah. going to hate us and we just <laughs> wait until you have played the song and we've captured a performance and we have this essence of a thing. And the one that ended up being the one was when Amber basically 
was close to tears, wasn't yeah. it? I did. Yeah. No, I, I broke no, down. Cried. And then, so it's like two takes, isn't it? There's like one, half the song is me pre-crying. Oh, yeah. And then half the song is me post-crying. Oh, I don't remember that. But I kind of wanted to have the crying bit in there because I was like, that's kind of romantic. But then I listened to it and I was like, get that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves because we are going to yeah. look at that song. Sorry, but yeah. That's I, the third I, I song we're like, going to look at. I but it's it? exciting because that's like a little teaser. Um, so <laughs> we'll go into that um, in due course. But the first song we're going to look at from the album is Boyhood. And so maybe if we hear a blast of the master of boyhood, um, then we can go back to the beginning and unravel it from there. Lovely. I could have been somebody else, but I've been out looking for me. It doesn't matter what I tell myself. For a moment, there's where I saw me. So that is Boyhood from the album In the End It Always Does by the Japanese House. So this is the first song we're going to look at. Um, where and when and how did this happen? So was this in that first <laughs> writing session you were saying about that? No. This was like, one of, I think, the last song I wrote for the album. You guys started we, this. Yeah, I right. sent you a demo, which is actually quite different. And then, do you want to play a bit of that demo? Yeah. Yeah. And it, this is the kind of gibberish thing that I'm talking about. <laughs> But it's actually quite similar. The lyric, it sounds like lyrics, but it's not. <laughs> oh yeah, you just had like phonetics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long intro. Where would you have been working on this? Just at my house. Yeah. In Margate. Right. I can't remember what any of this stuff is. Great. I, know, I should use it. <laughs> but these lyrics ended up just being the same. Mm. Yeah. First line and this. What's that? Something going on in there. Portal, mm. maybe? Maybe, yeah. And there's those weird synths that they're going like, meow. <laughs> and they sound like seagulls. <laughs> so I kept them in there because I was by the sea. Yeah. So that's usually like the kind of length of thing that I make when I'm starting a song. And if I go off it, I'll just leave it 
So I have like hundreds of like 30 second clips and then gave it to Chloe. And then did I, I think I lost everything off my lap. This happens a lot where I'll, because I never back anything up and I just, lo- my laptop just died and I lost everything. So we started rebuilding it. And is that what happened with this one? You, you st- came up with the synth. Yeah, I think we tried a little bit together in the studio and then I I sometimes find it, I come up with more interesting things when I'm by myself and I was actually at home watching Love Island and um, <laughs> and I just really obsessed with those little kind of, I call them blip blops, just like really quite clean sounding synth sound, which usually comes from like Omnisphere or Serum or something like that. I Is just had Serum? I think it was Omnisphere in the end. Scary. Yeah, it's just like three different layers of it, and I just had I just soloed Amber's vocal and just tried them underneath, and I thought, oh, I love that. Is she gonna hate it? And I, I classic, came in the next day. The classic yeah. thought. And I was like, kind of did this thing, but it's kind of silly. And she was like, oh, go and play it. And I finished. She was like, that's kind not of like, She was like, I kind of love that. Yeah, I was obsessed with it, and I was quite surprised. And then. <laughs> It's just all too familiar. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Have you got that? Have you were able to share that with us? I can Little play you the stem you're talking about. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Actually, yeah. now I'm thinking about it. What's the Love Island thing where it's like? Oh no! Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you just exposed that the plagiarism. What's that guy? The, Ian something. Ian. Welcome to Love Island. This is the um, <laughs> this is the guy. Oh yeah. It does. So you're calling those blip blops? Yeah, that's like my favourite sound. It's just really like warm and it's like digital, but also you feel it Mm. because the chords are quite like, I mean, they're your chords, Amber, but they're just like emotional, but also very... Dancey. Yeah, quite dancey. Yeah, there's some life in there for sure. I think that was the thing with this track, wasn't it? Because we were like, we don't want to make it, we know we're going to keep this. So then how do we create an organic palette around that without being a cliche? Because you don't want to be like, yeah, it's like live, but then it's electronic. But that's when, that's when, so oh, yeah. we did try that for a while. So when from the, we were... From the, the club to the barn, yeah, we, we called it. For a few days, we were like, this is how the, the song's going to evolve. It's going to start like this and it's going to end up fully acoustic. Right. And so I have, I can play you, I've got a bounce called Club to the Barn. Yeah. <laughs> so it, the reverse of what people would normally do, often people might start quiet or start in yeah. a home environment and then end up in the club. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But or the barn. You, you were going to go back to the barn. Yeah, exactly. Because Amber has these kind of twiddly, acoustic guitar parts which I think play a really important part throughout the album totally where like and it would often be like she would play one part and that would stick that in the middle and then she'd play a second part stick that on the right and the third one on the left and it would be just like a whole kind of twiddly layer and you started playing that I think halfway through yeah halfway through (laughs) these this bounce we could play it from the end of the first chorus yeah So it's still club at this point. Yeah, we're still in the club. You can hear what turned into those guitars now, though. Yeah. 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 
There you go. This is where it started feeling like cowboy theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When the whole time that we were in the studio, whenever Chloe would play violin, because she plays all the violin on the record, like I would just be like in tears in the control room, just like, ah! and I'd be sticking auto tune on it. <laughs> Don't tell them. What's <laughs> the next bit? It gets more Barney after this. Like that. That's great. That transition is really subtly achieved, even though, in a way, it's just turning down. The, <laughs> an the anti-drop. Yeah, 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 yeah. How does it end? Piano. Just you and piano. I don't need to play it if you don't want me to. I don't mind. <laughs> you should just put the vocal over this and give them the demo, too. Yeah, yeah, shout. It's really good. No. I don't mind. I think it's lovely. I should have jumped when you told me to. I mean, what was wrong <laughs> with that idea? I don't that's, know. That, no, sounds, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Still the song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is still the song. But but I think we did that and then we sort of went back on ourselves because is it actually Matty playing the drums on that? Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing some sort of like, it was like some weird dancey drumming, but it was like kind of country at the same time. Yeah. Like, it was sort of like Steve Gad, but bad. Steve Bad. Steve Bad. <laughs> um, I think he was also kind of copying Freddie's playing on Baby Goes, Baby Again. Goes Again. yeah. And he obviously can't do that. <laughs> so we should clarify, so this did, is Matty Healy doing yeah, drums. Matty Does he end up doing drums on the finished version of Boyhood then? Yeah. 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 And the Freddie in question. Freddie, Freddie Sheed, Sheed, who played, I, I'm playing drums on third to a half of the record and he's sort of the other half. Right. He's um, used to be Amber's drummer and... Don't know whether you ever remember, but I once broke my shoulder on tour when we were touring with the Japanese house and Freddie learned the set in a night and played for me for 10 weeks. 10 weeks? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And played two shows a night for two and months. And there was one show where we were in Canada and he played three. Joel couldn't, from Wolf Alice, because they were also supporting, couldn't <laughs> play, so he played all three shows. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He's quite good. He's a superhuman. He's very he's good at the drums. Ridiculous. And he's great to have in the studio as well, because he... Got great really, taste. Yeah, he's got good taste. He's really creative. He turns up with like seven thousand snares that he knows that you'll like. He'll be like, you know that song. I don't. He always references. Do you know that band? Here we go, magic. Yeah. There's one song called Alone but Moving. Alone but Moving. That by Here We Go Magic has this snare drum that we were obsessed with when we were on tour, and quite a lot of the time we'd just be 
like listening to songs, being sending each other songs, being like, what about this snare? What about this snare? And so he's That's kind nice. of, he's very clued up in and that department. And lovely guy. And lovely, yeah. There's a million drummers who are brilliant and perfectly in time and make good choices, but he is always doing that whilst complimenting the song in a way that I haven't really ever experienced with anyone else. Yeah. So he plays on half the album, you say? Yeah. Yeah. Because we start in lockdown. So like the ones, the five or six we did in 2020, I played drums on because we were locked in my house. Um, <laughs> and then redid some of them, but it was still, those are the ones. That, so I'm playing on Touching Yourself. Touching Yourself over there. Index score minder, friends, but we redid that. And you always get what you want, but those aren't real drums. Yeah, but you're doing lots of this and and, and yeah. this. No. And I played really? the triangle, which remember everyone that? remember those coins was against. But then we also had like a bracelet that had some coins on in the studio, but it sound it had a really good tone, and, it, and the, a combination of that and this was a hi hat. Wow. So your fingers, your cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs a drum that. again? Yeah. <laughs> and that was one that took us a day because I, I wrote that song when I was like 17 or something. And then I've always had it like kicking him out and been like, oh, maybe I should redo this. So yeah. what happened after you'd explored the option of going from the club to the barn, <laughs> um, then you decided to close the barn and walk away from it? Go back into the club. Oof. Right. Well, I saw someone write this perfectly in the review or something it was like the intersection between the club and the back porch and I think that's where we landed that's great I think what happened was there's this video that Chloe found this dance group called the Plowboys and they're sort of a gay cowboy dance group and they have this video from I think it's from like the early 2000s mm -hmm. like way before gay marriage was legal and they're, and they're doing this sort of like amazing kind of sexy cowboy dance in front of the White House. And this is and they're all wearing like they have like plowboy, but it's got like the Playboy sign on it. And they're in like tight jeans and they're like slapping their asses and it's just great. And it happens to be the same BPM as Boyhood. So because we were going with this like country vibe, Chloe found the video and like put it on the Pro Tools session. And we kind of like we kind of made it to that for the rest of yeah. the the time we because today, yeah. we thought it just gave off such an amazing feeling of like it was like pride and and just like joy and yeah these guys just looked so happy so we would we would play the song in time with the right. video so it looked yeah. like they were dancing to the song yeah and watching it again and again and again that might have influenced why it ended up being more of a dance I think you need song. to play some of the video and then maybe they won't be allowed to show it for legal reasons, but let's give it a go. <laughs> yeah. It'll but musically, the Plowboys for no relation to what you're doing, but visually, Visually, yeah. And it's just kind of the vibe because I guess yeah. the song, we were talking a lot, obviously the lyrics in the song, I actually finished those lyrics on the last day we were in the studio. Do you remember? Apart from yeah. the, the chorus is done, but the verses were just me going blah, 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 blah. But I we. I knew what the song was about, which was like kind of an amalgamation of like, well, you sent it to your brother. And he said, I remember that kind of really influenced what the song became about. He was like, when I listen to it, I think of, what did he say? A childhood that he'd had, like he thinks of oh, yeah. how amazing it is that you can be gay and you, like in the, not all places in the world, but in a lot of places now you can like experience 
being gay in a very different way to the way that we experience being gay. It's less shame and it's kind of like, kind of, it's amazing that that is the case now, but it's also so sad and poignant that we didn't get that and wondering what life would be like if we had had that. And then also thinking about the people that are generations older than us Mm -hmm. and like what they might have missed out on and what they could have been if they were, if, if things were different, yeah. So imagining a world where that was just the norm anyway and so everybody's childhood would be the same you wouldn't have that kind of growing up where yeah and then you, you have to question things in a way that and then you watch these guys dancing in front of the white house before it's legal and like when i showed my dad that video actually the first time he heard the song was the demo with with the video i just played it for him and then he cried and he was just like it's the courage of it all oh yeah oh, <laughs> I remember really, that. and then it kind of influenced the whole vibe of the song and then, so then we were like let's roll with this sort of even though i really like that sort of club to the barn version i think there's like a kind of excitement and like hope and uplifting like i don't want it to end on the sad note i want it to end on this like uplifting Mm. happy note which i think it does and then kind of musically as well or it kind of does build throughout every verse chorus and then it kind of drops and builds again and Mm -hmm. so it kind of never really like hits the the mega drop but it's just like building the whole way through it just feels very celebratory, doesn't it? Yeah. I can never say that word properly. I think I said it. Celebratory. I think you did that well, George. <laughs> Should just stop there. <laughs> <laughs> but and talking about boyhood itself, I mean, it has this great bridge with all these interesting sounds in it that wouldn't have been in your Club to the Barn version. And I was kind of interested in those sounds and, and because that, that kind of takes us to a, another world for a little bit and then... As you say, it comes back. So I was uh, wondering what those were. Yeah, that's a mixture of like violin and also, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's the the root and tooting vocal drop. Yeah, Yeah. that would be cool to solo, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Absolutely love that. It's like drunk. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Sounds very drunk to me. That was another one where I was like, I really don't know if they're going to be into this or things. I was obsessed with it. You guys always think I'm not going to like it and then I always no, like it. No, it's not You're you. You're scary it's, boss. It's, 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 <laughs> no, I'm it's not. the human condition. <laughs> I hope it's the reason that we're any good. Um, so, yeah, the, it actually runs throughout this chop bit. Hang on, let, for context, I'll just play the section that we're talking about. So what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So there is. Yeah, what is that? I'm trying to find the the violins as well. That's my vocal, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a vocal. Right. Primal tap. Yes. It's interesting because there's so many different elements that could have led you down so many different roads in terms of like if you'd followed the the jangly guitars, you know, that could have taken you one way and... But combining them all, well, and and the guitar and the violin was enough mm. to be great, and so I was like, "Shall I just slap a big obnoxious vocal sample on it, or is that just a terrible idea?" But Always this is idea. what this is what happened. 
quite dark on its own. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind got, of minor it's key. Quite, it's got a lot of atonal stuff in it. I don't have the where that came from because I think I exported it from Logic, but I can show you the plugin that it is. It's a delay plugin, but it has a freeze feature on it. So you can like, it's Primal Tap with Sound Toys. So you set it to fully wet, send something into it. Uh, let's put it on a bit of this vocal. So that's freezing now. And then we can increase the length of the chop. I think this is the speed, but basically when it's frozen, you can get from an octave all the way back down to where it was. So you can go, there you go, that's your first note. And then that's the octave. So it's a combination of that, changing the, the value and the feedback. <laughs> so yeah, basically great way of making chops. And then after you've done that, you'll have to put it, you know, sew it together. Right. It'll be a monstrosity. So you get those effects, those sounds, then chop them out, then chop put them, them back up, together. Put them back in time, then put violins and guitars on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they already existed. But I'll play the... Here's your Chloe. Like, what a weird juxtaposition, but it mm. just it just kind of works. It's basically the three of us. Yeah. There. This is what we do best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. And That's that, it. That violin's quite um quite exposed and like single line and quite raw. And I, when I play, I often want to make it sound very like smooth and streamlined and very in tune and perfect. And these guys encouraged me a lot to just try and play it. Well, your, your violin, I don't know, there's something about the tone of it that is like, it puts you in a room immediately. Like it doesn't, you don't just go, oh, there's strings there. Yeah. You feel like you're like being personally addressed like immediately and there's like a thing in your chest. Oh, that's nice. You're like, ah! Yeah, it, that's every time you play violin. Like, <laughs> we, we backstage we, at the Finsbury Park show you were playing and I was just like, oh. It's just a tone. It's very nice, but I, I would often be like, oh, I'll layer it up. I'll do like a bunch on, you know, pan them and everything. And these guys would be like, just do one. I mean, it's the same as and, like. And, and, and that would be quite difficult for me to do. But Kind of the same as a vocal though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess so. Being like, no, let's not just stack it up because that's what we usually do. Yeah. So you hear these kind of raw sounding single lines quite a lot. Uh, mm. You always get what you want. Another track on yeah. the album is full of it as well, so where good. I listen to it and I'm like, yikes, that sounds <laughs> bad. And we're yikes. like, leave it, <laughs> yeah. leave it alone. <laughs> but they didn't let me touch it. Yeah, but it's full of emotion and humanity. No, that's... Of course. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why a lot of these songs are less... Uh, like, they are more moving towards more live instruments than the last album for sure and I think that's because the little mistakes that you get kind of like like with the primal tap thing like you're just like doing random stuff and you end up like chopping something together when you bounce it out yeah this. and the sliding between notes is yeah. is wrong but that's what gives that 
very digital thing like life. Exactly. And I think the same thing with playing instruments. It's like you'll play a guitar part a little bit wrong and then that will be the bit that you end up liking. And, and like the same with... Massively. Well, you don't really ever play anything wrong. But <laughs> but like, you know, when we were like experimenting with um, the slidey when I was obsessed with sliding, sliding yeah. violin because I was obsessed with that song. Blue Order New Blue Monday. Blue Order New Monday. They, they did a pun, I can't remember. Which yeah, one. Blue yeah. Order New Monday by Jonestown Mass- yeah. Massacre and it's got those crazy... Yeah. And they're so wonky and I was kind of just like, I just, let's do some wonky strings. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And that ended up on uh, Touching Yourself, I think. Yeah. Right. Shall we go from the bridge bit that you were just breaking down and then just go back into how the song ends and we can wrap up Boyhood sure. um, just a little bit. It's really interesting hearing it in this way because you're bringing out all the detail that affects us when we listen to it but we don't necessarily analyse or unravel. Yeah, I love listening to all these little bits. I just did DJing then. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great. Sick. I love DJing. You actually do love DJing. <laughs> <laughs> You're obsessed with DJing. I am, yeah. So you couldn't get the Ploughboys video clearance <laughs> to use that, but you didn't adapt or adopt that presentation as the idea for the video. You know, you end up with this amazing video with... Uh, riding on horseback and, yeah. and watching that almost like you like a memory when you're lying on the bed watching it I and mean, it's really powerful I and mean, it's so Thank different you. to the my uh <laughs> the picture in my head of the plowboys dancing in front of the white yeah. house yeah i mean we kind of went it was a weird way that it all came together cuz the plowboys kind of made it feel like this kind of cowboy thing and then like we were sort of thinking like lesbian brokeback mountain and then my best friend Katie who was also my ex-girlfriend, my first girlfriend who I had at school and sort of went through the whole gay shame era with her. And she had a horse. He actually really sadly died recently, but she had a horse and we kind of used to always like, we had this romantic idea that we'd just like run away together and on on him, bam, bam. And we'd like ride into the distance together. And she has now become a stunt rider. And so then I was thinking... Imagine if we made a video that was like, yeah, lesbian breakback mountain, but there's something quite poignant and symbolic of me and her running on a horse, like we'd always kind of imagined. And but now we're both in a place where like we're really happy with who we are and like we're not running away from ourselves like we were when we were seventeen, we're sort of like embracing ourselves. And so it kind of all came together with like the meaning of the song and definitely was inspired by that. I also just can't dance. I can't dance like those guys. <laughs> it wouldn't have been very... You just haven't tried. I mean, I've tried. <laughs> you, just, you just haven't seen it. <laughs> it's great. I mean, and, and it's amazing how it does link up somehow because it's on a horse. It's the countryside. It's It, it feels like it's connected to that that barn aspect yeah, of, exactly. of the... The evolution of the song, which is really, really interesting. Um, I think we should take a break. Um, And so from Boyhood, we're going to look at Sunshine Baby next. Is that right? Yes. Excellent. Sunshine Baby. 
You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. The next one we're going to look at from In The End It Always Does by The Japanese House is Sunshine Baby. And George is going to play us the master. Sunshine Baby, as it sounds on the album, but where did it begin? Uh, that's the, the key question here on Tape Notes. It began somewhere really weird. I don't know if you have the the one without my vocal on it, because I don't think I can face that. I don't know. I was trying something out. I was, was trying this? out some stuff. This was like one of, one of the earliest versions. I like this one, though. This was kind of like all on a Moog. Moog one. Miguan. That Moog's still in it. God, it's like the guitar from. It's at your uh, house, isn't it? I need to get it. Spot Dog. Yeah, it is. Ding, yeah, so ding, ding, we ding. stole the guitars from Spot Dog and put it in four four, and then put it over these chords. Oh. And actually, that Moog one, I didn't have the right power for it because I forgot it from my house. So 
Chloe has spent, had spent a lot of time just like taking out this like crazy sound from it. I just had like a really high pitch. Like, uh, I remember that. So that the verses I just couldn't get right. And then also there's these string parts actually that so we were talking about earlier that Brian Jonestown Massacre song. It's inspired by both that and also this song I Walk Across the Rooftops by Blue Nile where it has these crazy like like the intro is just like bass and this, these really weird strings. So like they were actually the main inspiration for the song and then we kind of ended up going away from that a bit, didn't we? Do you have the early version of that, those strings? Yeah, if you play some of Chloe's strings from Sunshine Baby, maybe the chorus. Oh, this this kind of... Right, so, that's so that the was kind the of, Blue Nile Yeah, thing. that was like the... Don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the... kind of like thing that marches the song along. But you can't really hear it when it's in with everything else, but I think it is driving the song. Yeah, and you'd done that in MIDI, hadn't you? Mm-hmm. Beforehand. Oh, there we go. And I've got some strings and I put them through some sort of output thing that gives it that vibrato that, uh, thing. And I often like, I like writing string parts. And a lot of the time in the studio, like, Chloe will go in and she's so amazing at violin I can just shout any, any melody at her and she'll play it instantly so we like build up harmonies that way there's the, the moog yeah and I think there was lots of yeah we were at the studio in Mile End and there was a lot of trying to figure out that moog part so it was just Amber sat at the synth for quite a while just trying a few different uh, voicings of the chords or trying a few different patches on the Moog because the Moog's one amazing is it's amazing you can just like flick through loads of presets and they all sound massive yeah and so she was just kind of trying to find the feeling yeah to... there's so many different uh, kind of top line melodies that we tried that are in, end up in the at different places mm-hmm. And then we do the oh, yeah, the end section. And that's and Sicily, my um, best friend, played sax. Kind of rhythmy stabs. And that will have been a, a melody that Amber will have just played without thinking on the Moog. Right. And then I think she plays about 10 of those a minute and you're just like ma don't let it go just keep that one ma keep it and then it ends up being such an important part of the song because is there a a, a performance of this song with Chloe and your friend that was yeah a, a, like a a live performance a live yeah live song, version of the song online yeah um it, we just decided for the instead of doing like classic music videos where I'm like well Obviously, we did the Boyhood one, but mm. we just decided it would be nice to do a different version of the song instead and, and have a video of us yeah. playing. And I wrote, I actually wrote, so the verses for this is, I struggled with the verses for so long. And then I just did it, like always, it just happens in one day. I'll just be like, oh, now I can finally do it after two years of trying. And um, I wrote them on the piano. So in verse two of this, the piano comes back in. Um, so... In the live version, we sort of stripped it back. It's just piano, bass, drums, sax, and guitar. 
so yeah, less electronic elements. But in this, there's, it doesn't sound that there's actually a lot of live instruments in this song. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You look at it now, I'm just like jogging my memory. The Moog is the only synth on the song. Mm-hmm. Every, everything else is made from a guitar or a violin or a sax. There's no other instruments. If I play this without the Moog. I mean, you can hear that's all real stuff. Mm. And you've got Amber's three guitars again. Yeah. One on the left, one on the right, one in the middle, all doing slightly different things. And so, Amber, you're able to sketch your string ideas using the MIDI and then luckily you know Chloe who's able to take those to play, yeah. and, and play them for you and play anything else string-wise that yeah. if you're together but if you're not together then you can sketch yeah them it's, it's very handy I mean the strings ended up on every single song on the album I think just because I'm was so obsessed with Chloe playing and it. it's it's very lucky that I'm working with a producer who can also play violin because like it's amazing because when you get stuck it gives you another really good avenue to go down as well yeah like it was, we were like, oh, how do we tie these two songs together? Oh, Chloe, just do Get in there. <laughs> Get in there. And then it doesn't have to end up sounding like a violin. I mean, yeah. between yeah. us three and all of the other amazing musicians on the album cover quite a lot of instruments, Yeah, I think. We do. Yeah, yeah it's really <laughs> handy because so often, I mean, so often producers have many different skills and, and can play many different instruments, but the violin hasn't been one in Take Notes history yet that we're a producer, oh, you know, has has violin as that kind of go-to go. option. You know, that's, that's a handy thing to have in, in your pocket. Yeah, it's pretty versatile. Yeah, especially because you're clearly thinking about it in a different kind of way. You're not just thinking about adding violin because you know how you can produce your own violin playing. And turn it's it awesome because also you're, we're very used to people making sound beds from synths and pianos and guitars even if it's done in a really interesting way. But there's something so visceral about doing it with strings or like brass, which we did both things. It's a completely different sort of raw thing that it creates. I love it. It's really, really fun. Yeah, it sounds great. And we had a, a question from one of our patrons, Murphy, who asked what was the inspiration behind Sunshine Baby and why it hits so hard. So we've heard a little bit about the the, the kind of I musical inspiration you that. that you had. I can't you, teach you some that. of the sounds that that uh, you know that inspired you to to pursue this as a piece of music. But um, in terms of, I'm trying to think of what Murphy's getting at. You know, why it hits so hard is that as in like what the song is about? Maybe emotionally. Um, maybe yeah. It's, it was kind of like yeah, this song has the, that what the whole record is about where I'm, this whole record I was in kind of two places I was like in the, in the period where we all got together and we were finishing it I was both like really excited and inspired because I was living back in London that sort of lockdown was coming to an end I felt like really creatively inspired after having been feeling a bit flat for a while um, but also at the same time, my relationship was coming to an end. So I kind of had this like deep sadness and panic, but also this like excitement and enjoyment of life. And I think this song I wrote, like the choruses when there was still kind of hope in my relationship. And then the verses I wrote kind of like the day we broke up, basically. And it kind of underlined that breakup. And so, yeah, it's coming from two different perspectives. And I think that's why... 
it's very it's like a very sad song but it's also so uplifting and I think it because it sounds like what my life was at the time which was both very sad but also very exciting and yeah I tried a lot of different things for the verses but I just couldn't really get it right and then one day I was just sitting in the sitting at the piano I think after were you still there? I can't. I think I was walking around Hackney Wick and just like writing a million lyrics, and then came back and just sat at the piano and wrote that bit. And at first, I was like, "This is a bit embarrassing." And I sometimes mean, I, I listen. I remember to when it. you had the windscreen wipers on, and we were like, "Okay, yeah, we're getting somewhere." <laughs> yeah, this the is windscreen wipers. Yeah, so good. <laughs> yeah, the feeling when the windscreen wipers line up with the song, and that is real. I thought of that on the way in because it was raining. Well, it's always raining, but yeah. It's one of those songs that where the lyrics are kind of like they're on the cusp of being a bit too like raw and, and therefore embarrassing. But then I think they kind of just they're not. You they're, just... they're also just <laughs> true. <laughs> they're just the truth. Yeah. yeah. So and then it's always those ones that have the biggest impact and and say the most. Yeah, I think so. Also, um, did you have the line before you had the album title? No. Yeah. So that um, I wrote that lyric in the end. It, Putting off the end, because in the end it always does. And I kind of went in and I was like, guys, I guess I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm a philosopher now. And then... It's so good. And then that became the album title pretty much instantly. It might be my favourite album title. Aww. Ever. Yeah, I like it a lot. And it, again, that is another thing that has both... It can both be kind of optimistic... Or really sad. How can it be optimistic? Because like, in the, <laughs> oh, that's straight up don't worry. Like that's gonna stop hurting. Because in the no, end, it no, always does. Like it will pass. Yeah. Because yeah, like yeah. pain, both pain and pleasure pass, yeah. and it's cyclical. I think also I just knew what was going on. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. You were like, whenever we've worked together in all iterations of ourselves before, mm-hmm. sad, happy, joyous, miserable. And I was really, you were like, even when you were heartbroken, you were like incredibly focused on this record. Mm -hmm. And you were just like, oh, well, at least I've got this. Yeah. Which is making the record, which I thought was just really impressive because I can't can't do that. If I'm in a breakup, I am not functioning. I think it was just like a fuel. It was just something to like feed off of i really just became like quite obsessed with making this album like you're i was really addicted com- you were confident as well yeah because usually when you when you're dealing with turmoil like that you're like questioning everything and you can't make a decision and you can't really like move forward in anything whether it's musical or not and you just went there which was really cool yeah i don't know how i did that you, like, <laughs> it was kind of nailed it but i think we were talking a lot while making this record we we always talk quite deeply about everything me and Chloe had so many conversations in that beginning bit, helping each other out with different things going on in our lives. And I think that is such a big part of making music is like really understanding what the song is about. And I think you guys really get that. Like I've worked with other people before where like no one will even ask what the song's about and it doesn't inform how it sounds. Whereas it's like that should be the main thing that's informing how this sounds. How something sounds is ultimately what we're, thinking about when we're making those decisions is how we want the listener to feel or how you want to portray how you feel. And that's kind of what it all goes down to. And I think if you're not really like diving into what's happening in your life or what why you're feeling a certain way, then you're ne- never going to like 
yeah, harness that need, feeling. Everyone needs an understanding of what's going on to complement the music, the essence of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took us three years, really, to make this <laughs> yeah. record. Yeah. So it's a nice surprise because most people don't have the luxury of that. Yeah, true. But it was so quick at that last Yeah, the, segment. F- the, the start was quick. Yeah. The end was quick and the middle was grueling. Yeah. But actually, you know what? It wasn't. It was the easiest thing we've made, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I had so much fun making this record. Like, it was, I really missed those times. Mm, me too. It was so fun. <laughs> there was this room, and we all came together at the end in, this, in the Urchin Studios in Hackney Wick. And then there was this room upstairs, which the walls are made out of glass. So it's just like we called it the fish tank because you feel like everyone can see what you're doing. And that was the first time that I think the three of us and came together and started working on things uh, to like finish everything that had been done over the last few years. And it was just a really like fun, it was really fun, fun time. Also, like, it was I've, like, I've, it I've been a, quick as well, didn't it? Yeah. It felt like we were taking risks and like making decisions and- Definitely. It, and usually the only thing that gets in the way of that is insecurity. And I think we were all in a good enough spot to just be like, what do you think? Yeah, sweet. Okay, yeah, that's it. Let's go. What do you, do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, there's no... Um, Ego vibes. I feel like I'm personally in a place now where I don't need to fight for my ideas because they're mine. Okay, and I yeah. think I see that when... I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in other people. Where, and that's usually what makes a session like not brilliant, yeah. is people being like, not realising that they love their own ideas because they're trying to make themselves feel better <laughs> because yeah. they feel insecure. And that historically is me all over. Like, whether it's making 75 records or anything we've ever done. And for me, that was a wild experience because I've been following these two for years and I've right. been a huge admirer of both of their work. And I got used to working with Amber and that was no longer scary. It was actually lovely. And then it was like, okay, George is coming. And I was like, ah, George is coming. <laughs> and then and then that was the vibe that they both gave to the room was like, it's a, it's a, it's a collaboration. We just want to make good stuff. And yeah. that was really special. I think you come at it from the opposite point. Like when we start, first started working together, you, I think you would be more reserved with what you felt like I would want to hear. Mm. And I felt like I had... By the end, I was like, come on, just tell me what you think. <laughs> and, like, and now you'll tell me what you think. And I, I love it when you give your opinion. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I think we all have very different energies when we're in in the studio, especially when Matty was there as well. Like, you can't deal with that, can we? <laughs> no, no, it's great. No. It's also he provides something that we don't have as well, which you know, I, I don't know. Just like... You can describe I would say it. I can only really describe it like a, like I would say it's exciting. It's, it's, it's excitement. excitement, and he's like, ah! when, and like when he's Matty like gets it right. When Matty gets it right, and he feels good, mm. he he's a very very exciting person to have in the studio. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just trying to. It's harnessing the cap- focus, harness that, and capitalize on it when it happens. Yeah. And I think the same with me. I think I will get excited about something. That's why I only write like at first like a minute idea because I'll be like oh and I'll have to focus on this bit and I'll be like so hyper focused on that and then quickly my interest will go to the next thing and I'll be like oh look and then I feel like you guys same but I think you guys are good at like directing me and being like no 
do the well, this is the thing this bit this is yeah. the thing that we're all in agreement and helping me of, stay yeah. excited about and focus on on the song that we're working on the hardest thing in making music is maintaining that excitement mm-hmm. for three years yeah or six weeks or however long it takes you to make a record it's really that's the thing to unlock it's not like how good you programming <laughs> it's like yeah. how do you make the other person feel in the room yeah very interesting so we're going to move on to another song but let's hear the master again of sunshine baby So we'll take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at one for Sorrow, two for Joni Jones. Great. The next song we're going to look at from In the End It Always Does is one for Sorrow, two for Joni Jones. Um, Are we going to hear the master or did you want to start with a demo? I think we should start with a demo that... So how we wrote this song is often in the studio I'd be playing about on the piano and Chloe would be recording me. Usually I wouldn't realise she was. And she recorded this like little bit of piano that I wrote all like was just like kind of making up on the spot. And then we chopped it together and Chloe put some strings over it. And we had this um, instrumental for ages. And the idea was like, it was kind of inspired by both sides now, Joni Mitchell. We were listening a lot to that in the studio. Yeah, <laughs> and, and sobbing. sobbing. Oh. <laughs> um, we were going through a real vibe back then. But um, then we kind of, I kind of wanted to write a sort of like lyrical thing that was kind of danced melody wise very loosely over this instrumental but I didn't really have any lyrics for it I didn't know what I was going to do so one morning I was actually really hung over because I'd been to Charlie's show and I wrote this sad little poem and it was like I actually texted to Chloe and Chloe called me straight away because she didn't realise it was lyrics she thought I'd just absolutely lost the plot (laughs) I thought she was having a mental break yeah you really did because it's like That's there's so a magpie good. in my tree. <laughs> so, I forgot about that. Yeah, there's no context, That's just so the good. full right. The magpie is trying to warn me. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Wow. I was like, it's a bloody poem. Anyway, Katie from Moona, Katie Gavin came into the studio and we to- had told her this idea, and I was like, this this should be the lyrics that go over the this instrumental. And she was just like, I'll give it a go. And we were like, okay, go on then, girly. And she's like, stood up to the got to the mic and just we pressed play she didn't really know this instrumental and she didn't really know these lyrics but she just sung in basically the exact melody that we kept and it ended at the right time she turned around she was kind of like laughing crying because the lyrics were so sad and i think it ends with we should play the, her going that was fun yeah um, she didn't realize that she would so just insane. created probably the most amazing studio experience that we'd ever had and wow. we were just we were like weeping and it was in the fish tank so she wasn't in the vocal booth or anything. We were all together in this like glass room. But anyway, we should play a bit of that. So that's the piano that 
you had been recorded. Yeah, uh, Chloe surreptitiously orig- recorded you. Yeah. <laughs> fooling around. That piano went through Portal, I think, the plugin. <laughs> Amber's, you introduced me to that plugin. Yeah, I do use that a lot. Drone, Shout sh- out. drone shifter. Yeah, I love that one. She was still like, just like scrolling through the lyrics. <laughs> There's a magpie in my tree, shouting like he's trying to warn me. I don't know what he's talking about. When I look upon myself, I don't see the same thing I saw a year ago. Which is new. You seem to love me more when So this is Katie's thing. Mm-hmm. It's the and first the, thing that came into her head. Right. Melody wise. Right. As she was just reading the words for the first time. <laughs> so it's it's like kind of mind blowing. Yes. But there's violin in the background? Is it yeah. So that was yeah, the piano and violin was was the instrumental. Yeah. It's just Chloe and I were just sitting behind her. She was she was looking out the window, and we were sitting on the sofa behind her, just in like, disbelief. Mm. I was just like shaking. This is funny. It's this bit. That was wrong. Sometimes I think. And you can hear me going, keep going. And then we actually ended up keeping that like little gap in the song because we just didn't want to change it. And at the end, we were just like. Quite fun. <laughs> oh, these lyrics are crazy. <laughs> wow. So that's her turning around, seeing us in tears. And so yeah. insane. She, she just thought it was a bit of fun, and we and we're like, "Do you realise what you yeah. <laughs> what you just did?" You're, you're yeah. feeling the full impact of of the emotion that she's bringing to these words, and yeah. and she doesn't have any awareness that no, that is the case. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting because, I mean, I know Muna. I mean, Muna have been on my radio show that I do uh, quite a few times. And, and that's not necessarily the way Katie normally sings even because a lot of their songs are quite declamatory, aren't mm-hmm. they? And, and she's just kind of feeling things out there. You can really tell. But that brings such really amazing. emotion it's, to it. That is, like, that doesn't really happen very often. No. Ever. When you're in a studio and people are like, oh, I'll try something. And then you spend like months gluing these things together. Yeah. And like, that is just like wild. That's like raw talent. That's yeah. really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? So you've captured this amazing performance of your words yeah. to your instrumental. <laughs> and then 
how do you evolve or change or, or well, just, take that further? I listen to it about 7,000 times. Just often when I'm excited about something, I'll put it in my headphones and just walk in a loop for genuinely like an hour around like whatever street. So I did that for ages. And then I did a version of it over this same instrumental, basically just doing what she did. And then we decided there was something missing because obviously that performance is so raw and that and it because it's a performance, there's something so engaging about it. So we decided that rather than me just like cut in and copy basically exactly what she did, that I would um, sit in, because the chords are kind of all over the place and weird timings and the melody is weird. So I just learnt it. It's actually really hard to sing because she's, she's a lot <laughs> of a better singer than I am. I'm not as technically gifted as she is and there's some quite there's some tricky bits so I just spent ages singing it and crying basically and then we uh, we tried to record like a whole take of me performing it and yeah like we were saying I, I broke down in, in the middle of one take so this is right at the start of of this episode this is what you were oh yeah it is yeah. What we mentioned you yeah. decided right let's run through a number of performances to see if we can capture one whole take of you, Amber, singing the song. And mm -hmm. you, you were cracking the whip so hard. <laughs> yeah, you that, guys. Um, that that you, <laughs> you started crying. We just, yeah. we just wouldn't let her out. It was yeah. just, that song is so, again, like I had written that song in the kind of midst of my breakup and then it became, that was like when it, things were just over. And so I was, it was hard to sing because it's just kind of like, complete it's just like me giving in to things being over i mean i still find it it still chokes me up when i sing it or hear it now it was um, quite late and i think it was quite late into the evening as well it's mm -hmm. like the end of a long day and yeah and she just kept doing it over and I over did. until but that, but, it, but it was worth it because then that that special mo moment came along and then we were quite particular about because obviously in this version that you just heard the strings are kind of throughout and like it's not as intimate, I guess. But with this one, we were quite particular about, or you guys really wanted it to be mostly piano and vocal. Which oh, I've, it was just the dynamic of yeah. where the sound bed stuff is and that not getting in the way of the voice. But it's kind of stuff. like, I, I, in the past, have always been very much like, I want to layer my vocals with a thousand harmonies yeah, I mean, that's what we were it. good at. Yeah. We were like, more synths, more BVs. Exactly. And now it's like, hmm, what would I be doing if I was really pushing myself? Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely the most, the barest song that I've ever released. It's one of my favourites, but I, I struggle to listen to it still because it's so like... Me too. Yeah, yeah, I can't listen I, to I, it. I, I'll flick through the rest of the album and... and all the time I have since it has come out, but I actually haven't listened to it yet because I'll just I'll cry. just cry. Yeah. yeah. No, you know what? I think I did. I have listened to it once, and I managed to be like so proud. I wasn't crying. <laughs> yeah. Not again. It's bye, Chloe. Chloe has so to go. Chloe's got to go. Chloe's got to go and Thank do you so another much, recording Chloe. session. Bloody yeah. So it's, it's hop, hop work. Yeah, she never stops working. This girl. Never Amazing, stopped. Chloe. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank you so much yeah. for having me. Great to have you on. I think the only thing that actually needs to be shared properly before we depart is the uh, the pitter patter. 
Oh, yeah. The digibu. So the whole time I was recording this, when I wrote it, she was on my sitting on my, my lap. Yeah. Um, when I wrote the piano bit. And then when I was recording the vocal and the performance, she was just by my feet in her bed the whole time. And we got her walking in. Where is that? There she is. I'll turn it up so you can hear it. It's still there. Oh, and that is the sound of Chloe leaving. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. So we get the pitter patter of, of Joni and and Chloe leaving. Chloe hasn't cut her nails in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So Joni Jones is is your dog. Yeah. And one for sorrow, two for Joni Jones. Because um, she's my joy. Yeah. One for sorrow, two for two for right. joy. Right. I think when you have an animal, like no matter what kind of state your own emotions are in, like you have to get up every day. You have to just kind of continue your daily life. And I think in a way, like your their life is so in your hands because they have no control and you're responsible for this thing. But like it ends up being that they help you out so much just by giving you something to care for. And like they just mean that your life, like in the song, I'll just be walking in the park with my little Joni Jones. It's just like, yeah, my life might be completely over, but I'm still going to have this like constant and this stability. Like it's very hard to find that anywhere else, that kind of love that's stable and and doesn't really falter or peter out. And I think there should be more songs about the love of an animal because it's. I think it's really interesting to think about like, because it hurts as well. Like, it still hurts. Like, you're worried about them. You, you... It's, pure, it's purely unconditional as well. Like, or yeah. arguably more so than a person because they can't speak. Yeah. They just love you. Whatever you do or say. And I think she she just makes... Because she's so sweet, she just makes me want to be a nice person. Because I don't want to be horrible in front of her. She makes me want to be a better person. She does. I don't want to be horrible in front of her. I don't. That's so sweet. I couldn't be. I mean, I probably have been horrible in front of her. But I, just, I don't know. I just don't want to. I think she just gave me a lot of, like, comfort during that time. Like, she was in the studio basically the whole time. She just sat in it. She's a really good studio dog. She just sits there and She's cuddles sweet. everyone. And it'd be a nice way to break up the day. We'd just like go for a walk. Mm. And I'd just be walking around writing these lyrics with my little dog. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going back to the, the song, the recording. Is that one performance then in the end? Because it, you were striving for that, weren't you? I, you it, thought it was two. I don't, it's two, yeah. If you sh- yeah, if you say so. I thought it was one slash like maybe a fraction of a few something bits. else. It's mostly one. And I then th- when I say... I think I broke on, like, sometimes I think life without you would lose its bones. And then I was like, would lose its bones. <laughs> and then just lost lost yeah. it. And I went back. But you can hear, you can hear, like, the piano and the vocal being mm. sung at the same time if I just solo the piano. Yeah. That's just the piano mics. That's so nice. That's real. That's real life. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a, a, quite a contrast to so much of the other work on, on the album and the way that you work in, in general. Yeah. No. I think singing is not like something that I've ever really been like, 
that interested in uh I think because I'm not I'm not like I don't think of myself as a singer I used to find it really hard now I'm definitely a lot better than I was but it's never been like I've never had that thing of like I want to be amazing at guitar or I want to be amazing at singing or like even with like production like I'm all right at like doing all those little bits but like it's something that I can sort of like get obsessed with and then come in and out of and I think um with singing and the performance like I usually just like just conviction isn't yeah, it yeah and it's... this time I just sort of really tried to perform with this song and get good at singing and it does make you feel the song more like there's something romantic about knowing that in that recording like I was genuinely feeling what I was saying so much rather than just doing like takes of each line you know like mm. it's it's a yeah, really you're honest believing in what you're actually doing at the time yeah and I which think you're it not if you're doing make a difference if you're doing 35 takes of a verse yeah. you're not doing that you're like in muscle memory and yeah you're not really present and with a song like that I think there has to be an element of like romance and like artfulness to it because it's so raw and real it has the execution of it has to be honest and real I think yeah and so I mean for you as somebody who's been making music since you were in your I'm trying to you pre-teen you you, you mm -hmm. started making music before you had become a teenager or a very young yeah. age but the 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 main goal is creating the melodies creating the tunes and so like because say for some songwriters it's about getting out I mean Lisa's obviously a very emotional journey through this record but it's getting out those emotions and getting them on mm -hmm. the page and getting those words you know somehow articulating it but you're partly articulating all of that through your music making the creation of the melodies and the sounds yeah I think like lyrics sort of a lot of the time they sometimes I'll write a song and it'll be completely about the lyrics like this song for example but a lot of the time there is something within music that makes you feel just as much as... Mm. And that's why, you know, like people listen to like Bonnie Vare. Like, I don't know what the hell he's saying, yeah. but but no, I do. I do yeah. know what he's saying. and sure. I do know what he means because I feel it in the music. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think you, you, you're really great now at recognising... I've said this to Matty as well, like what the lyric songs are and which ones aren't. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you can get... If you've got a slightly more pop-leaning song, and you're like, oh, there's no good lines in this song. I'm not talking about any example, just like this has happened before with Matty. He's like, oh, I don't know whether to, like, keep writing this and rewrite, rework it because mm -hmm. I just that these don't feel that important to me. And it's like, well, there's a time and a place for a song that does that because sometimes if you have a brilliant song, the lyric, if it's too if it juxtaposes the nature of the song it can actually be distracting to have like a crazy mattyism in a song that actually just needs to be simple you've definitely refined knowing when to and like to be like yeah to be like less that. precious about it yeah and be like okay and experiment a bit with it yolo yeah <laughs> giving yolo <laughs> It's interesting because the um, but the songs and the tracks clearly mean so much to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important that um, you want to not just get them right, but realize what you're trying to say. You want to be able to reach a point where you're happy with what you're saying within each song. You know, then that's yeah. clearly a goal. I mean, that's why one of the reasons maybe why it took three years to, yeah. to 
get this album? I think in previous, like the last album, like I love that record, but there's also definitely points where I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I made the right decision there. Or like, oh, where the, this album so far, I haven't really had that. And I think that's because I haven't really compromised on anything, probably out of laziness or like just when you've been working for something so long, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's fine. But with this album, I don't think there's anything that I'm like, do I really like that? Like I love no. every single part of the, yeah. of the record. And we all kind of, I don't think there's anything that we were, were like disagreeing on. No, like, I think we all knew as well that like the thing we were saying in the past, if in doubt, put something else on it. Yeah. Do another BV, do another synth, do another texture. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that wasn't good enough this time and we knew that without even it was yeah. like unspoken there was no cheating and if there was anything there that you couldn't hear or you didn't love just take it out and replace mm -hmm. it with something that you could turn up and hear and yeah it was just i mean it sounds sounds simple it's it's really hard to stick yeah. stick to that it is hard but i think we managed <clears> to do it yeah i think so well i mean that that simplicity <laughs> it is powerful and effective. And maybe before we get on to our, our questions that we like to have, ask everybody on the on the podcast, um, you could build up just through this, the simplicity of One for Sorrow, Two for Joni Jones. And sure. jo Joni Jones, the, the name? She was named after Joni Mitchell, obviously, right. which is kind of funny because it all ties together. But then my flatmates, who's also one of my best friends, her... When I got Joni, her boss had a daughter called Joni and his last name is Jones. So she's called that. Joni Jones. And so I just started calling. I thought that was the best name I've ever heard. So I just started calling Joni, Joni Jones. Right. And But actually I played him. He was one of the first people to hear the song and he wept. He loves it a lot. And it's quite funny that his daughter's name is in, in my album. But yeah, I think it's a great name. But she has a lot of names, that dog. They all do. They always do, don't they? Yeah. Um, here's a d demonstration of uh, simplicity. Here's like the textural sounds without the bug on the piano. Let's play like violin highlight reel. Chloe's not here, so we can sing her praises without her getting embarrassed. So amazing, yeah. Oh. Mm. It gives me, like, the sort of... Sometimes it sounds like she's playing, like, almost, like, Celtic. Mm. Like, well, we listen to a lot of Celtic music together. It feels very British. Mm. Or, yeah. But it feels like, um... It's Vaughan, not Vaughan Vivaldi. Vaughan Williams. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, um, what's that? It's Vaughan uh, Williams, Larkin, Lark Ascending. Lark Ascending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I remember. Yeah. That, I, when, yeah. when that, when she does that, reminds me of Lark Ascending, which is like kind of the essential British sounding piece. I think. Yeah, yeah such a. Both such of us music. really love talking about classical music. Chloe's dad is a conductor, and she, she spent a lot of time in that world, and so she's a lot more clued up than I am but I, I love listening to it and a lot of like there's actually quite a lot of influence of different kind of classical like I guess ways of playing or like progress chord progressions in a way 
but we always reference something. And he was impressed with your, your writing. Who? Her dad. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> I love him. He's a lovely man. I could listen to this all day. Mm. More DJing there. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't finish like that, does it? Yeah, the pedal yeah, coming up. I guess it does. <laughs> Sorry, I ruined the end, didn't I? No, I love it that the pedal comes up and it's like done. No, no, I just mean when I said oh. that. <laughs> doesn't finish like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. That's so, the song. That's George, the song. you've done this before, but um, the tech question, a piece of equipment or, or an instrument that you uh, is, is either fundamental to this album or fundamental to you, Amber Bain, the This Japanese album, voice. I would actually say it would be the piano, which is weird because I don't really... I played the piano, but not very well. And then in lockdown, I got kind of obsessed with it. I learned how to tune them. Also, mute. They're all very muted yeah, pianos, aren't they? that's true, yeah. Or sometimes we put like a blanket over it. I think it's just the piano and the acoustic guitar, which is weird because before it would have been something, it would be like some plug-in yeah. or something or some synth. But I think I really was trying to write and since then, I've been writing more on just guitar and piano, which I really love doing. Because I think those are the things that draw you to music. Like when you can make, you can write a song and it can be amazingly produced or whatever, but you can strip it back and try and play it on the guitar and you're like, well, there's nothing to play because it's all like, Ooh. It's like you know where you stand as well. <laughs> yeah. It's like you know, oh, I've got a song. Oh, I've got a really good song and I've got a guitar and a vocal and I know what that is, as opposed to, again, creating a huge bed, and then you're like, do I like this or do I like the song? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. And there can be something, like, really pleasing about listening to those, like, electronic things. Oh, of course. Like, oh. Obviously, a marriage is yeah. totally essential. But I think I really learned to not kind of, like, rely on that on this record. I learned to just try and, like, actually just write songs and the other stuff comes out later. So maybe that's a boring answer, but that's what I'd say was essential to this album. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that. That seems it's not boring at all. It's very interesting <laughs> to hear that. Um, do you have a process or a routine that gets you into writing? Not really, but it's usually when I'm feeling a certain way about something, whether that's like really sad about something or like really excited because there's a new person. Kind of what I usually do is when I'm writing a song, I can't help but imagine the person who it's about or like a, or it doesn't even have to be about them, but a certain person hearing it. And it kind of like sparks ideas and like kind of keeps me inspired. Or like a lot of this album, I was writing, reading a lot of like poetry because I was struggling to sort of pay attention long enough to read like a novel or anything. I just like wouldn't be able to do that. But kind of diving into like a poem where someone's feeling something quite intensely and it's just a page or two of like, that feeling condensed and that's kind of what a song is it's just like trying to condense how you're feeling into three or so, so minutes with sort of different sounds and um i was reading a lot of that but 
But I wish I had a routine because that would probably mean it wouldn't take three years every fucking time. But yeah. Yeah, you don't have a, right, 11 o'clock, I I start doing this. No, Um, definitely not. I don't know. It was good when I started working with Chloe to do, when she was like sort of doing more, more the engineering bits and I would go to a studio every day and meet her and she'd just like, like record me writing basically because it like forces you to do stuff but it doesn't necessarily for me make the best stuff but it almost like clears i always find that like the best bits to be really structured are at the end yeah like deadlines are good Mm -hmm. structure is great at the end because otherwise you just carry on forever um yeah i don't know it's hard sometimes you need to like show up for work in order to get something done sometimes you shouldn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a nice luxury to have. Yeah, it is. But I think you need it. Like, I, I think I need to feel, like, very free and able to, like, live my life a bit when I'm writing. Otherwise, I'm just going to... What am I going to be writing about? Like, the commute to the studio. <laughs> but, yeah, I think... I don't really like having any kind of routine in my life at all. I really don't like... It, it makes me feel depressed when I get realize i've got a routine i'm like i've gone to bed the same time every night for like also, four days in a row it's also the best thing if you are depressed is what a routine a routine yeah i just can't but then maybe getting up you... and eating and exercising yeah going to bed at the same time yeah. doing the same stuff gets you out of the the muck yeah i mean for me i'm just like i need my brain just sort of feels most excited and inspired when i'm doing something different every day and thinking about something different every day. And like, I think you have to feed your brain. You have to feed your brain with, with yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. What I said mm. wasn't to do with making a brilliant album. It's just... But no, but yeah, if you are, if you are depressed, anyone. Don't <laughs> speak to George. <laughs> we are not a replacement for professional help. <laughs> we just, this is just a lovely accompaniment to a uh, podcast about music. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that in a way, having a, a, a pet creates a certain kind of routine that, yeah that is the only that thing that keeps... can be a foundation for that other is true stuff. that is the kind of only routine yeah, I have. that's kind of what i was getting at. yeah i mean she is kind of a little freak where she doesn't really get she wouldn't get out of bed until about 2 p.m unless i make her i have to get <laughs> her out of the covers and i'm like come on babe please wow um but yeah i think routine is not something that drives my creativity particularly yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Um, the other question we ask everybody is about advice and whether okay. you've received advice along the way or whether through experience you've learned some lessons that you would pass on to other people, either about creativity or about how to create. Well, with this record, I think what I learned the most is to like, is yeah, like kind of like what we were talking about earlier is to like not be precious about stuff. And that if you try something, it doesn't mean you have to keep it. I think before I would be so protective over these demos, that I'd almost just be like, oh, I don't want to ruin them. I'm ru- we'll ruin the magic of it if we do this. And I'd just that just creates like a negative energy. If you're saying no, it's kind of like you have to just keep saying yes. Even if you're hating what someone is doing, like, or even when you're hating what you're, you're deciding to do, just going with something even if you just go, no, I don't like that anymore. It kind of, it's kind of like an improv when, you know, you have to be like, yes, and yeah. I think it's... And also just that might be an hour. It might be yeah. two hours. It might be a day. Yeah. And what, you've lost a day 
Yeah, he, yeah. And then he you're cares. closer to knowing what you what want. What you want, yeah. And I think also this record, I, I was just a lot more collaborative than I've ever felt. I think it being like what nineteen or something when I released, or eighteen or something, and a girl and people don't believe that you can do anything because they just assume there's like like an old guy behind you like doing everything and like that can be really frustrating I think as a result I was like really defensive and wanted to be like I'm writing everything I'm and then this sort of time I just was like I actually just don't care like why would I not collaborate writing wise and production wise with like George and Chloe who are both amazing musicians and Matty and like Katie from Moona and Charlie even came in for a day and I think like before yeah, I'd be so, bit... it's so nice that it, that it was just really open process. It was lovely. Yeah. And I was just like, no, yeah, no. It's the same. I was the same. I was like, oh, no, I need to record and engineer and produce and mix this song. Otherwise, I'm a failure. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh. But I'm just thinking the, the list of jobs you've just given yourself then and the amount so, what, of who's, time who, and effort. I don't know when I decided that mm. that was going to be my completely unobtainable goal for life yeah to do everything but recently i've just been like that's just nonsense it's also just like not fun to do it's like, not fun and even if you do achieve it yeah there's always stuff that you hate yeah and more likely if you've done it all yourself yeah yeah <laughs> and i think like i think if we had done this with the first record i'd be there with my laptop and be being like Oh, and this bit from this demo, this blah, 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 blah. But, like, I think I really stepped away from that side of things. Because I, I, there's no need for me to be doing anything on a laptop, really, when I've got you. No, me, but like, also... In the initial stages, yeah. It's also trusting that if you've got something brilliant from your demo, I'm going to go, give us that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm not going to go, oh, I'm going to try and redo it. Exactly, because yeah. Because I feel insecure. Yeah. Like, we're just going to go, that's great. Keep that. Do that. Do that. What do you think? Right? Yeah. And I would say that, yeah, I think I've walked into a session kind of recently and it was just like a bunch of guys listening to the song they were producing and I was like, what's the song about? And the guy who wrote the song was like, no one's asked me that. And I was just like, how are you all like trying to produce something and make something and you're not like, it's so important to have those conversations and be like close with people that you're working with and like have relationships with them like, I mean, this doesn't apply to all kinds of music, but... Um, Still sort of does, though. Yeah, I guess Even so. if you were, like, making dance music, you'd be like, what's that line about? So that yeah, I can, I don't know, find... It doesn't stuff. have to be, like, the most poignant no, line in the world, but... It, at least it know what it is. Yeah. yeah. I just think the meaning behind music, like, that's the thing that's going to be... That's the thing that's going to separate... AI. AI. Yeah. It will take off for a bit and then people get bored because it's not a real person feeling real things and making mistakes in their real lives or making mistakes in their real recordings on their real instruments. like Yeah, the nuance is just not going to be... Exactly, yeah. And I think what I've also learned is so important to like... Well, at least what helps me love my own songs when I write them is that I, I'm not cheating with the meaning. I'm, I'm being very honest. Yeah, and you're not writing a song unless you need to. Yeah, not writing for the sake of it. No. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of how we sum that up in a nugget of advice. Yeah, uh, but um, well, that but was it, advice, was it? Yeah. Um, <sighs> I guess to not be precious over your own 
ideas and to be as in touch with the meaning of the song as possible and try and have the most honest representation of that throughout the music. Totally. You nailed it. Thanks. Just re- <laughs> notice the Hello. fear. Notice fear. Notice. Oh. There you go. Two Ooh, words. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> notice fear. Wow. Well, I don't know. It doesn't sound very good. Notice fear. <laughs> um, we have another Patreon question that it seems quite specific, but I thought I'd ask it anyway because it's Andy Coleman has got in touch with us to say that it's been mentioned on social media just how meaningful it was for you to work with other queer folk on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's interested in, in... Shout out to my queer folk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which songs benefit us especially from that on this record, do you think? And how it changed your creative process by being in that more safe environment or if it's safe, the right word, uh, supportive? I think what it is, is that like all these songs, well, like we were, what we were talking about, just then like knowing the meaning of the song like these songs are all about queer experiences so like having Chloe there like it's nice to have like someone that is reflecting back at me like my own experience of being gay and like I guess like songs like Boyhood and like that kind of gay joy like I think we would have still had that but it wouldn't have been like reaffirmed yeah it just like whilst you're there or something and it feels nice to be to not be the only the only gay in the studio um (laughs) it's it's nice to feel like it's not even a thing i don't know like and it's nice to like joke about like just very specific cultural things that we both i'm looking at her as if she's there but um i don't know it's also nice to have another woman in the studio it's really like just balances out the vibes i feel i absolutely like, love it it's i've not had it before i've never really worked you've obviously worked with um laura laura yeah, yeah i mean those were lovely. they were both in the last two years i don't think i've really i mean but then i've always worked with you so that's yeah. different so it's different it stops boys from being boys when they should mm-hmm. be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think like especially when it that, yeah, there was this like period in between the end and the beginning where it was just me and Chloe kind of and I was writing and it, you obviously get men coming in and out sort of telling you. It always makes me laugh when people try to explain, like a man tries to explain like how a desk works to Chloe. I'm like, babe, <laughs> I think she knows about 7,000 times more than you do. Like yeah. some like old studio girl will come in and be like, this is a... Uh, an EQ, which is this, and Chloe will be like, mm-hmm. and she's always very polite. And I, it's nice to sort of catch eyes with her and be like, and that kind of like, I don't know, just creates a sense of like someone having your back in a studio. And I'm not, that's not me saying that you no, ever do that, course. but you know <laughs> what I'm talking about though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it no, it's really difference. nice to not, it's actually nice to be sort of like forgetting about those norms a little bit. Yeah. Having worked with not that for a while. And you're like, oh yeah. That was like not very long ago. That yeah. Do you know what I mean? That it was just completely normal that I, we would only work with men, and it is just wild that that is mostly the case. So I remember, yeah, the first manager that I, who obviously is not my manager, um, went for a meeting with. He was like, "Your USP is that you're a girl, but you can also produce," and I was like, "Okay, why is that my USP? Like, why would that make like?" 
because a girl can use a laptop like crazy. But at the time, I wasn't even surprised that he said that. I was like, yeah, cool. I'm a girl and I can also produce. And it's just like, it really has, should have no bearing. And it is just all societal that there's not, I saw this funny, actually, I can't remember what sex. I can't remember what it is. I can't help you there. Yeah. Sorry. We should let you go. Um, and we should play out with another selection from the record. What song shall we play out with? I think we should do You Always Get What You Want because this, this one we did in a day, like everything. Yeah, it was a, couple it was of a, very, hours. It was a very good example of... We just forgot to redo the vocal. We, we, did, we also, we didn't even start with the nice thing, I'm, I feel like maybe we did this a couple of times, is it takes a lot of guts to go, here's a version that we have of a song Let's re-record it. We're not even going to start with that. Mm-hmm. We're not going to use the tempo or the session or the stems. We're just going to start again. Yeah. And we did that. I don't think it was one thing that we took. No, there wasn't. Yeah, it's a new project. We just started off with... And it was the first day me and Chloe had worked together. Yeah, exactly. Or... It was the first... And we yeah. did Sunshine Baby. Like, it was one of the two. Yeah. We did like three days and finished those two songs. Yeah. It yeah. felt like the sort of kicking off of excitement of this period of making the record yeah yeah we knew it was gonna work <laughs> thanks so much for coming on thanks so much for thanks having us, us. It's, it's been really so lovely fun. and so this is you always get what you want thank you for listening and in particular thanks to all of you who have signed up to support us on patreon i'm just one part of the team that brings you take notes and it relies on your support Access to Patreon includes the full-length videos of new episodes where possible, ad-free episodes and detailed gear lists, among many other things. If you'd like to join, head to the link on our socials or website. For pictures, highlight clips and behind-the-scenes content, head to our Instagram or YouTube channel. And on Discord, you can join the growing Take Notes community. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You always care what you want. Yeah.